My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, first things first, thank the entire committee of Jimmy and Maribeth for having me here and getting uh, back here to share with you guys. And uh, I know the hard work they put into it and all the phone calls I got from Jimmy and panic about no one's coming and there's too many people coming and uh, uh, I just don't answer the phone anymore. Uh, <clears throat> I was tied up, Jim. Um, but if we can give it up for all the people who put this together for a moment of great work we did. Great to be here and see some friends I haven't seen in quite a while. Some I see I really don't want to see anymore, but they're still here. Uh, it's uh, like Tommy. Where's Tommy? How doing, Tommy? Uh, Really good to be here. Um, interesting, I, I'm living in Florida now and uh, for the last three years and it's absolutely paradise for me. And uh, I'm not a big fan of getting up here in this kind of weather, but um, it seems to be once I get here, uh, something happens and it's like a homecoming for me. And uh, there's four gentlemen before I get going, I, I must mention, who, um, you know who your friends are when it hits the fan and there's only a couple of guys left holding you up. And before I forget, I really need to mention four guys, and that's Eddie, Freddie, Jimmy, and Ian. A uh, handful of years ago, before I got to Florida, uh, my personal life, as hard as I was working to keep it together, disintegrated in front of me. Then I really wasn't sure where to go. I was out of work. I had no money. And I'm wondering who's going to hire me at my age to do what I don't think I know how to do, and I do it well as work in a treatment center business. I didn't know which end was up. I pleaded with God, I tried to manipulate God, I, I begged to God, I surrendered to God. Uh, but those four guys uh, held me up and um, put me back together. And then a phone call came and they embraced me and then released me to go to Florida. And every time I come back and we speak on the phone, I sponsor these guys, but um, um, we speak on the phone and they're still my friends. And uh, I say this, and I don't uh, give this lip service. It's interesting, if you can go through life and say you have one really good friend, God has blessed me with four, and I don't give this lip service. I trust these four men with my life. So I'm way beyond overpaid in Alcoholics Anonymous for that, and I just want to say that from my heart, I thank you four guys for everything. Um, so it's really a treat for me to be here. And I'm supposed to talk about defects of character, so let me just share with you around one o'clock this morning what happened to my defects of character. <clears throat> uh, I slept in an igloo last night because I had no heat in my room. And so uh, I called downstairs to maintenance, and they said there was no maintenance guy, so they sent up some other guy, Joey Bag of Donuts, to fix my, my heater. And, um, oh yeah, I've been in Jersey two days, I'm already aggravated about 40 times, but uh, uh, <clears throat> Mary and I went to New York City the other day, she says, all this energy, is, that's not energy, that's contempt, that's all that that is. But, uh, uh, so this guy came up and um, he's looking around and uh, he goes over to the thermostat and to fix it, he starts punching it, the thermostat. 
And then he looked and he said, there's something like the combustion valve to the inner tube is not making a transference to this. Th I said, what does that mean? He said, you got no heat. I said, oh. <laughs> thanks a lot. And um, anyway, it was getting really cold out. And on the way out, <laughs> he looks at her and I and he says, good luck. And I, <laughs> oh, welcome to Jersey, Marion. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic, and I say recovered because I am, and anything less than that would be falsely humble. A loving God separated me from alcohol June 23rd, 1988. And my first six months in Alcoholics Anonymous did not resemble someone who was getting recovered, or even a place of recovery. I just wasn't drinking the first six months in recovery. I was behaving like a drunk without a drink in me. I gave God lip service. I went to meetings and not drank and almost got drunk. And I found quickly that as sacred as our fellowship is, and I hope we find out the sacredness of this glorious fellowship, that the fellowship alone will not keep me away from a drink. But God could and would if he was sought. And I was desperate, and I was dealing with the daily dis-ease and discomfort of untreated alcoholism, even though I'm not drinking. And I got in touch with defects, or rather they got in touch with me. And I have found out the hard way by forging this out on an anvil here. That if I don't turn to my Heavenly Father and have God deal with my defects of character, they will deal with me. And if I don't continually turn my will and life over to care of God, the illness will gladly take it back. And my job is to continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness and get to a place called recovered and enhance that experience to get my soul full, to nourish the spirit. And when I found out my true nature, many of us are like this, our true nature is to experience something greater than ourselves. John was talking about that earlier. This thirst, this hunger to find something other than me, but my mind has other, other uh, uh, intentions. And I would seek God, I would seek relief, I would seek freedom in the bottom of a bar, uh, bottle or very dark alleyways. And I would get instant gratification, I would get some relief, only to have the hideous four horsemen knock on my door the next morning. So I land in Alcoholics Anonymous and there's still this thirst, this hunger to find this God and to, to do away with the ego and the mind and this false self because the true self really wants this God. And it was in my poverty of spirit where I'm stripped raw in front of my God, in front of my creator with nothing, no attachments to anything because everything has stopped working. And I'm stripped raw in front of my creator and in that poverty, the only inheritance that's left when there's nothing left is God himself. It's the only place to turn. That has happened to me in Alcoholics Anonymous, not only out there on my way into Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, it the surrender while we're sober can be more difficult than when we're out there and there's nowhere else to turn. Because what we can get in AA is the reemergence of ego that tells us we're okay and I don't need to tell anyone how bad I'm doing. Right? June 23rd, 1988, my God separates me from alcohol for the last time. And I say not to be pretentious or unique or different, but I'm in the process of experiencing permanent sobriety. And my last treatment center was in 1988. And as long as I continue to grow in understanding and effectiveness and allow God to do what God does for me, my last drink is done and so is my last treatment center. Permanent sobriety, getting recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to the power call God and nothing less than that great fact. If there's times where I think I can run this show or do it on my own or somehow, some way I can tweak what I think I need to do for me, I'm in serious trouble. But my ego will say, I will never pick up a drink, Pete. You're far from a drink when a drink is breathing down my back. 
June 23rd, 1988, I had no plans of landing in Alcoholics Anonymous. This was the last thing on my mind because I tried AA. I would go to AA. I was told don't drink and go to meetings. Said, Why do I have to come to meetings if I don't drink? I don't understand that one. <laughs> Anyone seen the grapevine lately? I don't want to get to that one. They would tell me, put the plug in the jug, don't pick up the first drink, you can't get drunk, by very loving people. But I tried those remedies and I kept getting drunk. So I didn't think AA was going to work on June 23rd, 1988, where I was actually taken from the scrap heap. I did not make a clear decision, a conscious decision in June of 88 to say, okay, I'm going to stop drinking and go to meetings. I just had this small, quiet voice, give me some truth. And we can't deny the truth, no matter how much we try to get around it. The truth was made abundantly clear to me in the back of a filthy hallway in June of 1988, where I had been homeless for quite some time. I had six treatment centers behind me. I had gone to meetings. I kept getting drunk. Got drunk on the way to a meeting, on the way home from a meeting. I knew A, it didn't work. Priests prayed over me. My dad threw holy water on me. Psychiatrists tried to work with me, find my inner child, my dysfunctional family, as, as they talk about, uh, Carl Jung says, the inner workings of my mind. If we can just get everything to fire on all cylinders, you'll be okay. Kept getting drunk. This is the last place I wanted to wind up. And I'll be quite frank with you, when AAs would come into my treatment center, I had nothing but contempt for AA people. How could you be so happy? How could you be so joyous? And what fool would give up a Friday night to come into a treatment center and give a talk? How lame is lame? But God didn't care. God knew what I needed and was going to spoon feed me till I go from here, point A to point B. And in a complete uh, uh, desperation, the gift of desperation, in the back of a hallway in June of 1988, that very same God that I scoffed at night and I cursed at and I had resentments and fear about and old misperceptions and conceptions about this power called God, this good, good early direction from a, from a group of drunks, all of it was laid aside for one brief moment, the little opening that we will get. And we will get that while we're out there and we will get it while we're in here sober when we bottom out. And in that moment, I was given truth, and I prayed, please take me from this. I don't want to die. And that was as raw as I could possibly get, and perhaps as honest as I will be for the rest of my life, because there were no bargaining chips June 23rd, 1988. I wasn't even thinking about AA or doing this, or getting a sponsor, or getting a job, or getting sober for her, or getting sober for my job. I was homeless, about to die, just don't want to die. And what my Heavenly Father did, did with me, like He does with all of us, is gives, gives us the whole thing in abundance. What I have found out over the last 25 years, my God, I'm sure your God, is pursuing every one of us. Pursuing us for a relationship. Is begging me and begging you for a relationship. And we keep turning around going, oh, tomorrow I'm busy. i got to go to the gym. And God says, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. And gives me another day grace. And tomorrow God knocks on my door and says, I want a relationship. He says, oh, I'm busy. i got a lot of things to do. i got deadlines to meet. I'll pray tomorrow. And God says, okay and comes back tomorrow, and God continues to pursue me. And what I do now, and what we all do as messengers of God, we're not here to, to be served, but to serve. And it seems the more I serve, my God is serving me. Gives me another breath, another heartbeat, another day of sobriety in all of you. My God is serving me. Go figure that.
The spiritual life makes absolutely no sense to a thinking mind. So I gave up trying to comprehend or define that power called God. It just is. And I get it in this breath. And where I've been moved to 25 years later is practicing prayer meditation three times a day because I want to experience my God. It gives me mindfulness. It gives me breath. It gives me you. It gives me relationships, healthy relationships. People who love God are surrounding me. I'm not looking for them. Now my ego and my mind and my defects kick in and say, wait a minute, what's their angle? Why are they being so nice? What do they want? I'm not good enough. Polly talked about this. I'm not good enough. Wherever I went, there I go. And they still call me for conferences. And I bang the phone on the table. Say, you got the right guy? They say, yeah, we want you to come. And so I surrender. I mean, I'm looking at who's on this bill this week, and I, just, I said this last time, there's two people here that I'm in awe, I'm humble, being, speaking in front of them. And that's Bobby and Polly, two people that I, that I have idolized for the longest time. One of the first tapes, for you new people, we actually had tapes, not CDs. Remember? Right. One of the first tapes I was given in recovery from a guy in Minnesota was Polly. Now, you know what I mean when you play a tape where there's nothing left on it, you just wear it out? I took Polly on my honeymoon, by the way, just so you know that. Right. <laughs> Honey, I gotta, I gotta meet somebody. Her name is Polly. Be back in an hour. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's what I did, and I get to travel sometimes, and we meet at some of these conferences, and Bob B., what else can I say about him? And here I am. Go figure that That makes no sense. I'm a punk kid from Brooklyn, and here I am, standing before you with a little bit of dignity, some integrity, and recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and hopefully being an effective agent for this power called God, who I love. Huh? What we ought to be in Alcoholics Anonymous, I've said this from a million podiums, is a pep rally for the power of God and shouting God from the rooftops and, and be bear, bearing witness for new people, the great news, the great tidings that God has done for every one of us in the sacred rooms of AA. Because many of us, like me, have tried other avenues to get free of this affliction, free of this thing called alcoholism. And every place I turned, there I was, and there was a drink behind it. And I come into Alcoholics Anonymous, and I tell you about the worst things I've done, the most god-awful things I've done, the most embarrassing things I've done, and you say, here's my number, give me a call. <laughs> a common problem and a common solution. If I tell a civilian I got defects of character, they keep walking, they dial 911. <laughs> if I tell one of you I got defects of character, you usually say, let me go first, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> right? June 23rd, 1988, I made a surrender to God. And what was told to me was enough, I got other work for you to do. It was the first time I listened to a different voice. And the voice was not coming from me. The voice was not my mind speaking to me. I was completely out of my mind June 23rd, 1988. And I pray to my Heavenly Father that I stay completely out of my mind. I hope I've lost my mind for good and all. And my hope is everyone in this room never gets their mind back because that's where the problem is. That's where my fear is. That's where my defects are generated. That's where the ego has free room and board. That's where the pride and worship of other things lies. That's where idolatry is. That's where it all is. That's where the problem is. 
The body's easy to fix. It's the mind that's the troublemaker. It's the great deceiver. And we'll pretty up a junkyard to get me back to a drink. It'll start with a little relationship and sex life's out of control. Start little money issues and money life's out of control. I lose integrity in all areas of my life. I go on these sprees. I emerge remorseful with the firm resolution. I'm not going to do that again because if she finds out, I'll be divorced. If they find out, I'll, get, I'll lose my job. Then we get the wrinkles out of our belly and we do it all over again. Because the pain of living in this present moment with this breath is too great. Because I got the chatter of a thousand voices talking at once. I need to do something other than surrender. And the ego refuses to surrender. And it's only when we bottom out when nothing is left we finally surrender. Some of us we do it with reluctance but we surrender. June of 88 I had no more resistance. I was out of my mind. And the voice I got was God's voice. Very often we'll say, oh, you hear the voice of God, you must be crazy. You can't hear the voice of God. Nonsense. Who else is he going to talk to? If we're effective agents for God, where do I think I get my inspiration from? Where do I get the intuitive thinking from? I need to be clear so I can hear. And sometimes it's as simple as going down to the supermarket and I'm trying to take care of my body and my mind says, get some ice cream. And the quiet voice says, no, go for the vegetables. Who's telling me that? Common sense comes from God. A book says on common sense becomes common sense. Stop listening to my mind and stop listening to God. I don't have to be Moses on a mountain experiencing God. I could be doing my laundry, taking care of my children. I could be at work behind my desk. And there's a small, quiet voice that gives me guidance. I'm no longer driven by a mind, but I'm moved by a loving God. That's awakened. That's enlightenment. That's being a guru in AA. It's not that difficult. My ego and my mind sets up these, these unbelievable ways, these obstacles to find God. And my book says most good ideas are simple. And I got 12 spiritual principles to experience God. I don't have to go to the bottom of a whiskey bottle. I don't have to go some, down some dark alleyways where my mind wants to take me to get some instant gratification. And that instant gratification feels good. That first drink off a, off a pint feels wonderful. That first little acting out, there's some instant gratification, some relief. It's great until the next morning and I'm back again and again and again. So I know plans of landing in Alcoholics Anonymous and my Heavenly Father took me from that hallway and placed me in my seven treatment center. And the voice kept telling me, who are you kidding, Pete? You're Pete Marinelli. Who are you kidding? What kind of farce is this? What kind of, how pretentious are you to walk into treatment and say you want to get well? You know what you're going to do. And those were my demons that I was battling. I was battling me. I'm very grateful today that on most days I'm not looking to me for guidance. What I have found out, how can I experience God? How can I find God? How can I talk to God if I'm playing God all the time? Because sometimes I think I'm praying to God. All we're doing is praying to ourselves. My God is me. I said it. It must be good. You must be wrong. My prayer today is one of complete surrender in my brokenness to God. I don't care how long I'm going to be sober. Till the day I die, hopefully. And experience the glory, the glory of God in NAA. But I'm broken. 
I always look at AA as a room full of broken toys, the toys that don't work on Christmas morning. They're in the other room. We're a room full of broken toys. And somehow, someway, with the touch of the master's hand, little by slowly, he puts us back together. And what we get to do is great things. We get to share great news in Alcoholics Anonymous. Me, I was the black sheep of my family, unreliable, irresponsible, don't bring him in. And somehow, God allows me to be the point person in my family, the reliable one, the responsible one. Makes no sense. But that's what we get to do as the touch of the master's hand puts us back together. Am I willing to surrender? If I'm not, Don P would always tell us, based on what you've been doing, how's that working for you so far? Uh, not too good. So I get taken out of this hallway and I go to my seventh and last treatment center. And I spend 10 days in this treatment center. And I was addicted some, to some non-conference approved dry goods for a while. I had the marks to prove that. I had liver damage and some other internal damage. I urinated blood. My gums were bleeding. I weighed about 130 pounds at the time, 140 pounds. I fit into like a 24-inch waist. That's how malnutrition I was, dehydrated. And they were, they were very worried about me. If I live to be 100, I'll never be as old as the day I walked into AA in 1988. I was in serious, serious trouble. And I knew it. But the voice says, who are you kidding? Just get a drink and let's end it all. After about 10 days of being in this treatment center, they shipped me off to Minnesota. And I went to some meetings out there and I went to six weeks of treatment. I went to the sober living community. And about 11 months later, I was brought home. But something had changed because I was brought to a meeting called the Three Legacies meeting. And I saw people get into the podium like I'm dressed now, unlike a lot of our contemporary A meetings where speakers get dressed like they're about to commit a felony as soon as the meeting ends. <laughs> right? And they showed up with a big book. And they gave AA the dignity it was owed because they owed and they weren't afraid to show it. And they talked about the solution, living in all three sides of the triangle. They were all sponsored up and had sponsors. These men and women walked the way I prayed and begged and wanted to walk for so long. But I'm Pete Marinelli. There's no way I'm going to pull this off. And they said, come with us. These people, like my four friends, never felt, allowed me to feel ashamed of being me. With all the cracks in my armor, in all my brokenness. I had no money, they would take me to a diner. I had no money, they would let me into their home. They would pick me up for a meeting and take me back. They would order food for me and make me feel like a man amongst men, which I never felt before, wherever I went. And after about 11 months I was brought home, I was brought to a group in Brooklyn called the Free Spirit Group, and God appointed me a teacher, another agent for God. And I heard this man give a talk, and I went up to him, and I asked him to sponsor me. And we began a journey through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and nothing less than that big book. And I got to experience, for me, has always been a paragraph as to what the spiritual transformation looks like, and that's the great fact on page 25. The opposite of the bedevilments. Everything turned for me, little by slowly, but it began to turn. My ideas, attitudes, and emotions, which were once driving me, were removed for a new set of conceptions. God eyes, God ears, and hopefully God words. And who I be was made different different from the inside out, that external conditions were never and never will be a remedy for what ails me, this internal condition called alcoholism, drinking or sober. God could and would if he was sought, drunk or sober, an alcoholic, and I need a power called God. 
And all I do, all I do nowadays is surrender to this God and he gives me an abundance in my brokenness for this great power. But what I have found out, that gate that we pass through, it says we enter the world of the spirit. It sounds like it's really large. It is not. It's a narrow gate to which I'm going to walk through and a very narrow road to which I'm going to pass because the road narrows the more on this path we are. I can't get away with the things I used to. It's way too painful. And many will pass through the wide gate and have some, some uh, ease and comfort doing that, but never really awaken, never really experience ease and comfort, perhaps temporary relief. Because faith without works is dead. How am I doing? I began a journey through the big book of alcohol science, and I knew what I suffered from. And it wasn't only my external conditions. I was homeless. I panhandled. I did a lot of earthy, ugly things for a price of a drink. I had a kid brother come down to the Lower East Side. I must have called home in a blackout because I don't remember making the phone call. But he got out of a car, my youngest brother, with a gun. And he said to me, I'm going to kill the drug dealer first and then I'm going to kill you because we're sick and tired of you. This is what my alcoholism brought my youngest brother to do. And by the grace of God, a couple of folks got in the way of that. That's where my family was brought to because of my alcoholism. When I would sleep in the back of an abandoned building hallway, it was okay if no one else was coming in. Well, this isn't too bad. I got a pint of Mr. Boston blackberry brandy. I can wash the night away. Who cares? Until the next morning I would come to and had to do it all over again. And I would go out and panhandle and do whatever I had to do just to get a drink because I would start to get sick. This wasn't the plan when I was 14 and picked up a drink the first time. In fact, the first time I picked up a drink, it was euphoric. It was a great time. I had no plans of becoming what I became. None of us do. And yet God continues to throw a life raft. God continues to build a bridge, which is what I try to do today in my life, because I owe. Even to the, the folks who don't want to be around me, even to the folks who throw daggers at me, I will still build a bridge. I will always build a bridge. You want to cross over, I'll carry you over, but I'm going to build a bridge. And be a peacemaker where there's no peace. If I want to be an agent for God, can I claim God with my lips and have no actions? then I'm just not drinking and going to meetings. Can I cling God with my lips? Not only be a hearer, but be a doer. And judge without mercy, because if I judge without mercy, what mercy is going to be shown to me? Hmm? And so I chop wood and carry water and I go. And we put on the armor of God and off we go and be effective agents for God. I don't know when a newcomer might be here tonight sitting in the back of the room judging me to judge AA. Let's see what this is all about. Let's see what these people got to offer. I may be the only copy. You may be the only copy the big book a new guy reads. How am I doing? How am I doing when no one's around? How am I doing trying to practice these principles in all my affairs when everyone around me is not? Spiritual for an hour and become a drunken sailor for the next 23. So I began a journey, and I looked at my powerlessness. It was a rude awakening for me to find out that I'm powerless over alcohol before I even pick up a drink. Oh my God, what do you mean? There goes the don't drink, go to meetings theory. That my mind is gonna drive me back to a drink no matter how much of a powerful desire I want to stay away from a drink. Circumstances mean nothing here. My mind is driving me to a drink no matter what. Good, bad, I'm drinking. Step one tells me I'm drinking, I'm gonna drink until I die, and there is no way out. 43 pages throw me into a corner, paint me into a corner and say, Pete, you're screwed. There's no way out of this. No human power is gonna relieve me of this. Now what? I thought she would get me out of it. 
I thought the job would make me better. I thought the right amount of money would fix me. Not going to work. And I had to get that at a gut level. Longest distance in the world. Head to heart. June 23rd, 1980, I understood what they meant. So when I came into AA and they taught me, they taught me out of the book from their own experiences. Experientially is what they were giving me. Their own experiences. I saw my solution. Pointer in two, made a decision in three, which our speakers talked about. Here I am in four. I turn everything over in five. And I will tell you, rubber hit the road for me in four, especially when we got the sex inventory. Who wants to talk about this to another man? Because I knew it was coming. I know he's going to hear this stuff. And after prayer and begging God to get me through this, my pen became a spiritual translator. You know when you're writing, things are going on paper, you say, how am I writing this? Why am I writing this? Where's this coming from? The desperation, step one, is what pushes me through. The, the, the fear of picking up a drink is what pushed me through at the beginning. The uncertainty of where I was going pushed me through at the beginning. Any lens is none of my business. Where I'm going is none of my business. My job is to suit up and show up, get a big book and notepad and pen, a sponsor and pray, and off I go. And let God do what God's going to do. Let God mold me the way God has to mold me. Same thing with defects of character. I got an idea what they look like, but I don't know them all. It's a surrender to God. Father, you do with me as you see fit. Because some of the defects I looked at, what I think is bad might be good. What I think is good might be bad. None of my business. Let God do what God's going to do. I remember sharing my fifth step with my sponsor, and there was a lot of stuff in there. The sex inventory was embarrassing. The resentments were more hate. The fear, I was riddled with fear, fear-based and insecure. And I'm trying to show I got my stuff together. And one of the greatest things my sponsor did for me, and all my teachers have done for me, is share their own experiences. They weren't sitting in the sponsor throne, looking down on their subjects. They got right in there with me and says, me too. This is what happened to me. If there's a name for it, it's already been done. And they got down to my level, which I think is so effective for folks like us. We talk at a drunk's level. Dr. Bob said Bill spoke his language. I get a drunk walking in the door. I know they're full of embarrassment. I know they're full of shame and guilt and remorse. I don't need to come from a spiritual hilltop. I need to get right down where they are. It's okay. I'll pull you ashore. I will carry you if I have to. You're with us now. Welcome. Little checks and balances at the door. Now my defects want me to be Moses at the door. My defects of character, I need to sound great. In fact, while you're speaking to me, I'm thinking of a great comeback because you need to think highly of me. Pride and ego. And one of the neat things I try to do, I work on doing, is listen to the silence between the words you speak. Be still. The sense of who I am is always coming from the mind for me. Who I think I'm supposed to be, where I think I'm supposed to go, how I'm supposed to work, what I'm supposed to sound like. And in reality, the sense of who I am doesn't come from mind, doesn't come from thought. It comes from spirit. Am I experiencing oneness with God? Or am I experiencing duality in my life? There's God and then there's my car. There's God and then there's the relationship. There's God and then there's my money. And I'm trying to worship two things. And a house divided against itself can't stand. Can't do it. Anything I found I put before God, I'm going to lose anyway. And that has happened to me. Where am my willingness when I complete step five? 
I come out of step five, I return home, and I'm quiet for an hour in reflection, in meditation, in some prayer, thanking God I know him better from the bottom of my heart. And we have some fifth step promises. And Bill asked the same question over and over and over again at the bottom uh, of page 75, where he asked us pretty much, have you left anything out? This is a life and death errand. Either accidentally or purposely, have you left anything out? And if anything like me, God won't find out. I won't sell, tell my sponsor. Are the stones properly in place? And one of what my sponsor had me do, what Mark had me do, is take a look at step one consideration after I'm done with step five. Am I still clear that my life is unmanageable, drunk or sober? Am I still clear that no human power could relieve me of this, that God could and would if he was sought? That if I don't have a spiritual awakening, I'm doomed to go drink again? Am I still willing to turn everything over to God? Is God still everything? Or is God sort of everything? God's my drink, God's my drug, but the sex and money God I got, leave it alone, I'm in, I'm in control. Have I been searching fearless and moral? And have I discussed everything with my God in five? Step six talks about willingness as being indispensable. Absolutely required. Am I still willing to turn everything over to God? And one of the neat assignments we do, it's just a little spiritual tool. Sitting with the fifth step, my sponsors would always take notes, as I do with my men. And they would just jot down some defects that kept showing up, wearing different hats, but the same defect over and over and over again. And they would ask me a question. How many of these defects are driven by fear? Every one. Where does defects come from? The mind. Unmanageability is always an internal condition, never an external one. That's where they're generated. My perceptions about you, my perceptions about God, my perceptions about life, always wrong or slightly askew. I kind of see it on my terms, not your terms. Selfish, self-seeking, they show up as defects of character, all driven by fear. Am I willing to let God take every one of these? And it came back to what Don just to say, based on what you've been doing, how's that working for you? Well, not too good. And fear and desperation allowed me to release that. And we would list these defects of character on a sheet of paper. And next we'd write down the opposites. Dishonesty, honesty. Hate, love. It gave me something to look at. Something that was tangible. That I would surrender to my God with and thank him for. Interesting thing happened to me. I was going through the work. Annually I go 1 through 9 into 10, 11, and 12. Experience the death of self before the physical death and kill off some more ego. I love the effect produced by booze. I love the effect produced by God. I want to experience more God. So one, once a year I go through the steps at least, one through nine. And one time I'm going through the steps with my sponsor and I finish step five and I go home for the hour and I do my prayer, do my meditation, I answer the questions, I'm listening to these defects of character, I'm surrendering to God and I was moved in, to go into meditation again. And what came to me in meditation was, Father, save me from me. I'm my greatest enemy. My love for God will take me to heaven. My love for God will take me to war too with you. My love for the big book will take me to freedom. My love for the big book will turn me into a warring theologian. How am I doing? Save me from me. And suddenly something indescribably terrible happened to me. I start to feel physically ill. I start to shake. I started to sweat. I felt like I had never been to an AA meeting in my life. 
No, it never opened up the big, big book, never had a sponsor. And there I was, in the posture, sitting there saying, what is wrong? I feel like I'm dying. So the first thing I did was I got up and called my sponsor. And I explained to Mark what was going on. And I'll never forget what he said. He said this, it sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone on me. <laughs> I was. I was experiencing what we talk about, the death of self. It didn't feel good. But it was beginning of a new path for me, a new transformation. Going through the archway doesn't feel good. It never felt good for me. The squeezing that goes on and experience the death of self where the ego gets grinded into dust. I think Bobby always says it becomes our first step for our life. Looking at these defects of character, these are the things that are going to drive me away from God and back to another bar stool. I was very uncomfortable. Mark explained to me why he did that. When Silky walked into Bill's room, and Bill was having this experience, and Silky tells Bill something like, hold on to it, it's better than anything you had. Silkworth didn't say, uh-oh, let's have a little group, let's talk about your feelings, let me give you some medication, this is not good. Don't interrupt the experience. Don't talk the experience away. And Mark knew there was something going on because he was awake. He wasn't sound asleep. And he says, sounds like you're having an experience and left me alone. To be with that experience, as gut-wrenching and uncomfortable it was, I was experiencing something great because on the other side of that archway, I experienced some utopia, some euphoria, some God because I was once again out of the way. What am I putting before God now? How am I doing with that? I get to my seven-step prayer, and it's interesting how the seven-step prayer has little to do with me, but everything to do about God and bearing witness, and it's a continuation of my third-step movement, except I'm out of the searching and into going out and repairing a wreckage of my past. My creator, I'm now willing to have all of me, good and bad. It's not for me to decide when I surrender to God what's good and what's bad. Going out. And, and, and repairing the damage in my past, growing in understanding and effectiveness. The seventh step prayers about being an agent for God. Huh? June 23rd, 19, I no plan of this stuff. No plans of surrendering to God with defects of character. I didn't even know what they were. I just thought I was screwed up and drank too much. I thought it was because my mom committed suicide when I was 14 years old. I thought it was because I had a, a tough guy as a dad and I grew up in a neighborhood that was always, always kind of edgy. I thought that was the problem. The problem was with me. The perceptions of everything caused me pain and suffering. I missed the book that they gave me on how to live life. So I blamed everyone. Nowadays, I don't live life on life's terms. I can't do it. I fail miserably. I get an F on my report card for trying to live life, period, let alone life on life's terms. Life on life's terms, I need a drink just to breathe. I need a drink to go to work. I just need a drink. Life on life's terms, I cannot do. Life on God's terms is a lot easier. It's simple. It's free. Narrow gate, but it's much easier to go. All I have to do is surrender, and God will give me what I need to go out into this world and do what he wants me to do effectively. About three years ago, I was working in Texas, and I pretty much built this place. And just on my name, I filled the place up, uh, uh, this treatment center, with beds. Forty beds, there were thirty beds filled almost immediately, just because I was working there. And people would say, Pete's working there, we're going to send our son there. Worked 80, 90 hour a week, seven days a week. It was my commitment to excellence. It's what I love to do. 
the Labor Day about three years ago, they kicked me out like a bad habit. And I'm thinking, okay, God, what did you do? I worked so hard. I did good work. I'm taking care of drunks. Professionally, but I'm taking care of drunks. I'm working hard. I'm away from home. Why did you do this to me? Have you left me once again? And I argued with God. And I pleaded with God. And I begged with God. And then I finally surrendered to God, wondering what, what's going to happen to me now. The path that God has laid out for me is none of my business. Just know it's laid out for me. What any lens looks like is none of my business. Am I willing to show up to any lens? And in this surrender, he says, okay, wherever we're going, we're going. But I don't know where we're going. I was petrified. I was scared to death. I had no money. My age, who's going to hire me? Now, God also knows for the longest time I've been looking to move to Florida. Always wanted to move to Florida. For a lot of different reasons. About a month and a half went by and I got a call from some folks in Florida who I'd done lots of business with. And they said, hey, we heard what happened. Is re relocation an option for you? I said, let me think about it. No. <laughs> and I met the owner of the company, most, one of the most gracious men I've ever met. And he says, I don't want to know what you do. I don't care how you do it, but I trust you. Go do what you do and set up this thing for me to take over. And the amount of men and women who come in through the doors of this place to still sober since we've opened. And I didn't reinvent the wheel. While they're with me, I give them whatever I can. They get me. I live in Florida, across the street from the beach. I always want to live on the water. I do what I do for a living that I would do for free. And I work with drunks all day long. I do this for fun and for free, and I do it to, for my, to get it to work. The spiritual life for me makes absolutely no sense. My family was riddled with alcoholism. My mom suffered from alcoholism, took her life. I come along and pick up where she left off. And my dad and my family faced all of this. In 1988, my family was suffering from full-blown alcoholism and didn't know what to do. They tried every remedy for my mom. It didn't work. They tried every remedy for me. It didn't work. Now what do we do? My dad's firstborn is living in the back of a hallway, dying of untreated alcoholism, right? arrested too many times and homeless too long, and we had infighting going on. My brothers were at each other's throats. They were at my throats. My dad was at their throats. It was one big mess, all because of one drunk in one family. That's why I can never get, just don't drink and go to meetings and you're a winner. I don't understand that one. How can I be a winner when I left the mess I did on the way into AA? I owe, oh, I need to go back. And little by slowly, God gave me the power to go back and fix some of that stuff. Because what we get to do in AA is heal. We don't only touch the lives of others. With God's great power, we get to heal the lives of others. Go into a drunk's house when they're sick and suffering. Do the 12-step call. Pull the drunk out. Take them to AA. Put them back together again. Let them experience God. Because the same person that was driven to go drink, the same person is moved to go help. And we get to heal the lives of others. Because when you go back into that home, 30, 60, 90 days, 6 months later, the house gets well. Those people are not in fear anymore. They're okay when the drunk walks in the door because you got a recovered person walking in the door. It becomes, it goes from a, a drunk house to a God house. We become better workers and our work environment changes. Everything changes. There's a huge shift that takes place, the God shift. And that's what happened to my family. 
with all our challenges as life comes at us because life is problematic. We have lived a world of impermanence. Things come and go. But somehow, some way, we commence in my family as we do here shoulder to shoulder with all the stuff that comes at, at us. I thought it was a miracle of miracle when my dad stepped into a therapist's office. My brothers attended Al-Anon and saw therapists, all because they wanted to get well, and they did, little by slowly. And so the other day, I'm in New York visiting my brother and his wife. The brother I visited in New York, we were at each other's throats. My youngest brother was easier with me. My middle brother was very, very difficult, very strong with me. He was like a black belt in Al-Anon and never went. And he let me know many times, in no uncertain terms, how he felt about me. We were miles apart. But my actions, my doing, my beingness has shown him, without me saying one word, what I do speak so loud you can't hear a word I speak, proved to him, convinced him of this life and my commitment to this life. And then he got to meet you guys. And little by slowly, he started to flip. And he visited Al-Anon. And he sat with the therapist. And he goes to his church community, and he prays now. And when I got off of the train at Penn Station in New York, and my brother walked towards me, he started to weep. He broke down because I haven't seen him in about a year and a half. And when I held my brother, as my brother held me up many times, it was genuine. It was brother meeting brother, because I get it every day in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous from strangers. It was as heartfelt as it can be. After all these years, my brother, met, my brother and I met like that. It was the closest we've been in a long time. Neither one of us were pretending. Here's what my God has done for me. In all my brokenness. Because trust me, and, and I don't just give this lip service. Trust me, I am not even worthy of doing this for you. All the gifts I've been given, I am not worthy of any of it. Based on my track record, in my brokenness... I get to stand head up and shoulder square before a bunch of drunks or do what I do for a living. I'm given a big fancy title and a nice fat paycheck. Are you kidding me? I don't deserve any of it. But God says, yes, you do. I'm a Catholic. I've been lighting candles in my church for years now. And I would sometimes go to Mass, sometimes not go to Mass. I had some, some issues with the church, my Catholic church, based on a lot of things we know have gone on. But I use that as this big generalization to condemn the whole establishment. And I'm going through to work, and I'm in step nine, and I'm looking at some amends, and I know I need to go back and speak to a priest about my contempt, about my anger, about my resentments, about my gossiping about the church. And I sat in a confession. And I says, Father, here's where I'm at with this. I love my God. I love some of the, 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 the rituals, but I have some problems. And this is what I've been doing for the last few years. And he didn't preach to me. He didn't bargain with me. He totally understood where I was coming from. I don't know if this priest is an AA or not, but he sounded like one of us. He says, would you make a commitment? If you want to complete this, just come to Mass tomorrow. I says, done, I'll be there. And Mary and I walked into Mass. And I wept for one hour. It was a homecoming for me. No one knew why I was there. I was just part of the congregation. And every Sunday, unless I'm on the road, at 10.30 or 12 o'clock, I'm sitting in Mass. Well, some AAs in there. 
And just three weeks ago, they asked me to be a Eucharistic minister. I give away communion now. And I stand at the altar with the priest. And I do the hymns and I do the songs. I can't sing, but I sing in church. <laughs> and Marion looks at me and I look at her and we're both crying. I'm standing on the altar looking like a fool with tears rolling down my eyes. And he hands me the cup and I go into the congregation and I do something that's very sacred. And I don't want to feel like I'm about to break a tradition here, but something that's very, very sacred, very, very important. And the people I serve know the importance of what I'm doing. I'm a drunk who scoffed at God for years, and he built the bridge to take care of one of his children. The sheep got away from the flock, and he brought him back. When an AA leaves the flock, I don't wait for somebody else to go get him. I go get him or her. Turn her over to the girls and bring the guys in with me. That's what we do. We don't shoot the wounded. I don't shoot the wounded. My teachers told me never shoot the wounded. Love and talents of others in my code. My defects won't allow that. God could and would if he was sought. Love and talents of others in my code. Not their behavior, but unconditional love for another drunk. Sure, they're sick and suffering. Sure, they're going to behave in a certain way. Sure, they're going to be inappropriate. What do we expect from a drunk who's scared to death? So we put a Band-Aid on the open wound. It's called the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And God will give me the power, the strength, the courage, and the direction to put that drunk back together and bring that drunk back to God and let them experience the glory of God. And they will go into the trenches and pull another one out. And that one will go and will go in twos and threes and go get the drunks and bring them in here and shout the great news to other drunks about what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. How we build bridges, this bridge back to life till it becomes my life. It becomes our life. There's nothing other than what we do in recovery. Anyone who's in the trenches as long as I've been who really in the trenches know their whole life is about AA. We get to go to work, we get to have families, we get to do great things, but it's all coming out of the same place. AA and God. For me and my house, we worship God. For me and my house, I worship AA. And that allows me to do all the things I get to do in AA. And nothing less than that great fact. I walk with my head facing the ground for a long time and felt like a mistake, an embarrassment to others. I walk head up and shoulders squared because I walk with my creator. I walk with God and I know so do you. I'm not God, but God gives me and you great power to do his work. How do you think we got here today? How are we standing here or sitting here sober with hope for tomorrow and some integrity for today? Because if you have alcoholism like I had alcoholism, I, we shouldn't be here. Dead or drunk. With the thinking mind running the show. And somehow I get freed and separated from that. And the more God I embrace, the less mind I have. And the less mind I have, the more presence I have. And the more presence I have, the more God I get to experience. No mind equals total presence equals peace. I don't want my mind back. People ask, you're nervous about sharing? I tell them why, I'm not showing up. <laughs> I mean, I'm here, I'm not showing up. Doing a workshop, doing a step study, six and seven, okay, no preparation. I'm not getting away of this. You don't want me giving this talk? Because I'll have notes and cue cards and a monitor in the back, you know. <laughs> gotta sound good, gotta look good, I don't care. Because I trust my God. I thought it was a hit for a minute. Two guys sneaking from the side. <laughs> We're in Jersey. You're from Tennessee? Yeah. Just look to the left and right once in a while. <clears throat>
And watch that table behind you, a little shady. <clears throat> I sent my dad <clears throat> this picture of me in this white robe standing next to the priest on the altar. It was just a snapshot. <clears throat> My dad doesn't get very emotional about stuff. He'll get angry, but he won't show that heartfelt emotion. It's a sign of weakness in his life, where he comes from. But I showed him this picture. His dad, like a kid, dad, show you something. And my dad became really emo <clears throat> emotional about it. Because <laughs> it wasn't too long ago he picked me up out of the streets. And I was dying of alcoholism. I have no idea what it's like to be a parent watching your firstborn about to die of something that he can't understand. If it was cancer or some other illness, somehow he can probably reconcile it. But this? And he got to see in, 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 in the snapshot the conversion that God has created in my life. Where I'm able to walk on most days with the Oxfords talk about with purity, honesty, unselfishness, and love in all my brokenness. And my surrender to God show me what relationships to have and how to have them. Show me how to carry out the vision of your will for me. Keep my soul from being poisoned. No hypocrisy in my soul. No saying one thing and doing the other. But just being a messenger for this power called God. This great power called God. The glory of God in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was taken, it was, for me it just came down to one little snapshot in my relationship with my old man. There it was. And he knew it and I knew it. And all I do is chop wood and carry wood and keep the ground fertile and let God do what God's got to do and grow. Huh? What a great thing we belong to, that I belong to. And I get to share this with all of you for fun and for free. I say no attachments. I don't like having attachments. Attachments will kill me. Attachments to external things are not healthy for me. I need to be free to do what God has for me and let him bring me places. No, not trying to create balance in my life. Let God create the balance. A life of imitation. I would get invited into people's lives and I'm able to do great work like we're able to do great work and meet heart to heart. And yet with all of that, of all the conferences I get to speak to, when I come up here, it's really difficult for me to go home. <clears throat> One thing I've learned is life is like a vapor. <sighs> and we're gone. Don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I'm hoping to see you guys around, but we don't know what's gonna happen. And there's some folks in here who I adore, besides the four guys I mentioned earlier. So from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for keeping me upright and sober, head up and shoulder squared, and being grateful that I experienced the big book thumpers in New Jersey and how we, we kick it around a little bit for fun and for free, huh? That's all I got. Peace. <laughs>